Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends. Episode 75, BJJ Brick Podcast. Uh, I'm Gary, and I'm here with the host, uh, Byron Jabara. How are you, Byron? Gary, I'm doing great. Happy to bring uh, another great interview. We have Danny Dring on the podcast this week. Outstanding interview. A lot of good information and uh, training advice, guys. Definitely don't miss this one. He's got five different black belts. Most people can't even get one. <laughs> That's impressive. That Yeah, he's a lifelong martial artist, and he found jiu-jitsu a long time ago, and he's stuck with it, and he has a and one of those black belts is in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so that's cool. Uh, we do also have a quote from uh, Draculino, and we have a, a good article that will help out uh, the near blue belt. So, so uh, awesome show today. Keep listening. You, you're really going to learn and, in, and enjoy it. Absolutely. How have things been, Gary? How's training going? Training is going good, except uh, I kind of lost my confidence a little bit here uh, uh, Wednesday. Uh, today, for all you listeners, is Saturday. But uh, Wednesday, I got destroyed by Byron. And uh, he took my confidence a little bit. I haven't been beat that bad in a while. Oh, Gary. The, uh, you know where I hide that confidence? Where? It's in my, the next Kimura. You'll get it right back <laughs> and put it in your pocket. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Byron just controlled and controlled. I, I couldn't escape. Uh, he made me look foolish. We were we were talking about that uh, a little off the air. Um, I guess after the last episode we recorded. Um, so Gary gets like he passes my guard, and I seriously have like a minute at most to get out. And usually my escapes are fast with most people. Both Gary, like the way you move and the way you um, try, control my. Uh, my far arm, I'm unable to get, usually get out very fast. So I have like that minute to figure out some sort of a, of an escape, or I'm done. So you have like that ultra aggressive um, and tight. Like I, like there's no way. To, like I haven't figured it out yet, Gary. It's been uh, you've been doing this for quite a while, uh, a couple years at least. So, but when I get on top, I get Gary. I tend to not. Uh, I try to be aggressive. I try to attack you, but I just can't finish. I can't get the job done. Uh, so it ends up like me kind of just camping out a little bit longer than i should but i'd trade you man if you could if we could trade uh trade side controls i gave you a trade oh i'll trade <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even think once about it i'll trade uh, no it was it was a great role we had a great time we we probably uh went for a good 30 minutes but uh, uh it's a good time yeah but out of those 30 minutes i bet i spent 20 of them on the bottom yeah but and but not not offensively on the bottom trying to escape his uh his side control but if that were to be reversed, you would have submitted me like twenty times from the top, like but as we twenty-one reversed. minute segments. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. We, uh, it's it's funny how much we train together and how different our our games are. And they yeah, we're polar opposites. Really. Yeah, it's a uh, you're that tight smashing guy, and I'm the the loose guy who's uh, uh, just very offensive minded. Yep, man, I'll give you a switch if you can. 
Well, I, I'm I'm going to have to stop. Let I let people pass my guard. Yes, he like, does. I really do. I, <laughs> I almost don't even hold people in positions. I, but with Byron, I'm going to have to uh, stop letting people pass my guard now, yeah. or at least try. I don't know if I can stop you. Yeah, that's how usually one of us will just kind of let the other one sl- s- sneak on by, and then. Uh, well, the bad thing is we normally start in bad positions. Uh, you know, one of us will let the other person you know start in a good position. Yeah, there's always that thing about like. When you when you when I let you pass right off the bat, you don't attack as hard as if if you actually pass though. Yeah, it is like, true. It's kind of like that first two minutes doesn't really count so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, it's more you know seeing if we're good. It's funny because we don't say we're either going to roll hard or soft. We it seems like we start off soft if you know somebody will pass and we're just rolling and nobody's head hunting or anything, and then all of a sudden it just slowly amps up. I elbow you in the head and suddenly it gets amped up a little bit. Actually, I think I hit you first this time. Because <laughs> I apologize in the middle of the roll. I'm yeah. that polite guy. Yes, you are. You are the yeah. polite guy. Unlike yeah. uh, one of our other grappling buddies uh, who's in his, I don't know, mid-60s or so, you let him you let him pass the guard, at least for me anyway, and uh, I'll receive a punch to the belly in a few seconds usually. So yeah, and but he's giggling that, and having a good time. He's shaking you. He's shaking you. Yeah. So, but it's he's 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 a lot of fun to train with, and he doesn't hit hard uh, on per. You know, yeah, he's, he's, he's just, just playing. He's, he's there to have a good time. He's there for yep. good exercise and for the camaraderie. I think so. Yeah, yeah, and plus he opens a gym for us. So. Yeah, that's true. He's a very yeah. nice guy. Yeah, he's the most important guy ever. Yeah, well, he's got the key to the gym. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gary, let's do the uh, the quote of the week is from Jacquelino last week's interview. So, if you missed that. Uh, it's basically painless to go back and listen to last week's interview. You have to go unless in. it's painless if you cut me out of it and you just listen to Draculino and Byron. But if I'm in there, it's there's going to be some. I mean, pain. like oh. the process of going and finding the web page oh, okay. and all that stuff. Make try to make it easy. Um, any more painful than like my voice is uh, kind of nasally this week? It's about the same as it was last week. So uh, just because of the allergies and stuff, Gary. Yeah, yeah. Not that I have a nasally voice all the time. <laughs> so anyway, here we go. Here's our quote last week from Draculino. I want in Portuguese and I'm going to try to translate. I think you should do to do and act with other people the way you like to be for them to act and treat you. I think that's the biggest thing in life in general, in martial arts and everything. Uh, I think respect and, and, and being polite and being humble, no matter who, with who you're dealing with, and in, in any situations, that's going to take you to 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 bigger places in life. I would say that. Yeah, kind of so the humble above everything. Being humble, treat somebody how they would like to one, be treated. That's that's it. That's it. In everywhere, everything and everywhere, everywhere you go, everything you do, you should do that. The world would be a better place. That's for sure. Yeah. That's cool, and, and you know, it, it, off the mat and on the mat, it's the same thing. You know, if you're going to roll with somebody a certain way, roll with them how you would like them to roll with you. Yes, sir, for sure, a hundred percent. So that was Draculino uh, presenting the quote: uh, "Treat somebody else how you would like to be treated." You know what I like? What he really said is, "It'll make the world a better place." He's not just talking about jujitsu. And that is true. You think about if everybody really showed respect to everybody else in this world, to everybody they met, treated that person with compassion, 
treated them how they want to be treated. Man, everybody would have a smile on their face. And as we all know, smiles are contagious. We'd all be in that much better of a mood all the time. Absolutely. You got – that's just how you should handle yourself on or off the mat. You know, um, th- th- there's no benefit to going around and being a jerk to everybody. Yeah. Well, we were talking about that off the air uh, before we started here today about previous training partners. And uh, one guy would always, you know, kind of beat us up. And he was so much bigger and and uh, uh, would – wouldn't even try. You'd be rolling with him, and he'd whistle and look like he wasn't even trying. And he'd submit you when he wanted to when we first started. And and man, I, I just hated being treated like that. And we were talking about. I bet people quit and did not keep doing jujitsu because they weren't treated treated with respect and courtesy. Yeah, I. You know, it's hard. It's it's interesting to look back and to see, like training with some uh, somebody who is really large or. Some of those are fun memories, but like certain people, uh, it's not so fun. Like I remember um, getting just beat up by Jason Bercher, just absolutely beat up, and I freaking loved it. I thought it was like this is awesome. I, this guy is moving in ways I never even thought were possible, and and it's effortless. And but the way he uh, treated me on and off the mat before and after it happened, um, I think it made a lot of difference as far as how I felt about the whole experience of getting beat up. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. Uh, you know, be nice. Uh, you don't have to crank stuff. But I always just hated that person we were talking about would just start whistling, and he would just look like he wasn't even enjoying himself. Like this was too easy, and I wasn't even worth his time. And and then he would tap me out, and I just remember it's like, man, I can't wait till I can get to this day that I can pay this person back. <laughs> Maybe that was a little secret motivation for you to keep training. It was. I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn like that. If yeah. uh, if you really beat me up, I'm I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to try to train twice as hard as you and twice as much and and try to get better. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think we're the same, Gary. Sometimes, uh, maybe we're not, but sometimes when I'm rolling with somebody who's a, a you know within a year or two of experience, sometimes I roll very lightly and I let them do a lot of different things. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll kind of. Submit them uh, several times in the in the round, and I, I try to after and before like uh, show them a lot of respect and that I'm not trying to be a jerk about anything. I just I just have those memories of really thinking it was really cool to to have somebody be that good and, and to get to train with them, and and really you know as a white belt you can't judge how good somebody is at jujitsu because. You, you're you're too far below that level typically when somebody who is good you know it's i remember trying to figure out how good somebody was well like okay let's say your white belt and the blue belt beats you up like easily and then there's a purple belt that beats you up and beats the blue belt up easily and then there's a brown or black belt that just handles the purple belt well the black belt's going to handle you about the same as, as as anybody else did as you know there's only so many seconds in in a round or whatever but like to see them match up and climb that ladder, uh, that that's that was really an impressive thing. But, yeah, uh, that definitely is. And I'm rambling off topic quite a bit here. No, Gary. that's that's really on topic there. But like you said, trying to figure out when you're a white belt, you know who's really good or what. But what I used to always do when I was a white belt to find out if this person was better than me before we started, I always asked them what their street fighting record was, and that always helped me. What would so be, that what way, would at least I was prepared going into it. What would be an impressive street fighting record? 
Well, you know, I've I've went with some guys who were like eighty five and oh yeah. you know, and one guy had eighty four knockouts and you know, I've I've actually went with people in death matches who were, you know, seventeen and four. And that's another guy that's gonna be kinda of tough. Seventeen and four in death matches. Yeah, Whitney, what's the correct answer if somebody invites you back to the hotel to watch some of their fight videos? <laughs> oh boy, that's a that's a oldie but goodie one right there. The correct answer is no thank you. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that his top teeth were knocked out. There you go. Yeah, so, that was uh, that was a wise move on your part, Gary, to avoid the whole situation. Yes, that actually really did happen. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you remembered that. And then, uh, and then I brought it up. It's only taken yep. about a year and a half to bring that up on the podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. That just made my day. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Anytime we're around Johnny, he's got to remind me of that one. Yep. Yeah, that so he, was, yeah. Uh, you and John Castillo were the ones who would always get on me about that. Yeah, well, those, but I that, did say no. I yeah, did say no. You, you were, but but it was but it was fun. I mean, th- this was well, back in the day when like MMA was was there was no local there MMA no scene MMA. at all, and, and like to even meet anybody who had done any. And he had some tapes of his MMA. It's like, oh, that sounds neat. Well, well I you're just welcome remember, to come uh, back and see. He was rolling with us, and I was like, boy, I'm going against a real live MMA fighter. I thought this was the greatest thing in the world. And, you know, I hadn't, we hadn't been training long and, you know, I wasn't any good, but I did okay. But I just remember we were probably 10 minutes into it and he's dominating position, but he couldn't submit me. And I was pretty happy with that. And then all of a sudden his hamstring cramped up <laughs> and he had to quit. And I just remember like thinking to myself, man, I just beat an MMA fighter. <laughs> <laughs> Victory. Well, I just submit him. Well, he, he cramped up. <laughs> and but because then he did of that, invite me back to his room to watch uh, MMA videos. Yep, and massage out the cramps. <laughs> I think maybe because of that little victory you celebrated, uh, probably just in your head, it, you get some cramps in your calf sometimes. So maybe that's like a little payback. Uh, that's being yeah, nasty. yep, yeah, payback, payback. Well, that takes us back to our our, our white belt days, man. Yeah, and yep. and while we're back in our white belt days, uh, the article, uh, GracieBaja dot com, the almost blue belt mistake. Don't be in such a hurry. And how many times have? As your instructor told you that, as you were coming up the ranks, um, how many times now, Byron, that you're a black belt, and when you're a brown belt and purple belt, have you told people just starting, you know, don't be in a hurry? Yeah, yeah, that's it's the article goes into it in in pretty nice detail, but if if you pass my guard and you spend all of a, a second in side control, and you've already gone for an armbar and it wasn't even close. You probably went to the armbar a little quickly. Like, solidify that position. Make sure the elbow is away from the body. Uh, g- get it to where it's a little bit more of a tight armbar, and uh, and go for it after you've uh, had some solidity to it. Yep. I also like the part they have in there. Read also position before submission. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's another link to another article. But th- like you said, that's what happens a lot of times. Uh, you're just so enamored with trying to get that submission that you forget you forget the the little basic things controlling the hips controlling you know stabilizing yourself uh, you know hiding your feet and or whatever you need to do as you get them out and and next thing you know that guy explodes because that's when the person's going to explode they're going to use your their best escapes right off the bat and next thing you know you you spend all that time passing guard and now you're on the bottom yeah, that that is. You typically you pass. They give you like a couple of good seconds of 
of trying to escape and then like the deep breath and now they've realized they're inside control you see it at pretty much all levels like the, like the big fight big fight and then okay i'm stuck and i gotta deal with this yep. if you go Is during it? that fight part that's not that doesn't help you necessarily yeah. wait for that to pass and isn't it frustrating like when you do it you let's say you pass somebody's guard and all of a sudden you get in a position and you're get ready to go for that sub and the guy bumps real hard. Next thing you know, you lose position. You roll over, and he's on top. And you're like, "Man, I just spent a ton of energy to get there." It's getting ready to go for a submission, and now I'm on the bottom. I get frustrated. Like in the middle, if that when that does happen to me, in the middle of me getting swept, I'm like, "Why did I do that?" Yeah. Slow down, Gary. So the the proper thing would be to to like get your submission uh, as tight as you can possibly, you know, set it up start to go for it and if he's going to escape you either need to have a transition ready to go or you need to be able to abandon that and maintain the dominant position would you say that is correct gary yeah definitely definitely because if you want to have the dominant position you are going to lose it sometimes sometimes people got very good escapes they they get their body tuned to a different angle where you can't get it you definitely want to make sure that if you are going to lose that position you're going to stay in a dominant position you're going to stay on top yeah, this whole it's a it's a cool article. It's a common problem, I would say, especially with that. Like it says, it's that near blue belt. It's you know the moves. You you're confident in your move, uh, and you can do it. You just pass. You just get a little excited, and you try to pull that trick on the move a little too fast, and it's yeah. not doing you any favors. And that is good, though. I mean, that's what jujitsu is about. It's about submissions. You really want to be able to submit people. And and remember when you were. You know, for starting, and all of a sudden you get in that position for a position for a submission. You get that smile on your face. You're like, "Yeah, I'm there." And uh, so it's good that you're trying the submissions and you're going for them. But take a little bit more time. You know, stabilize yourself. Make sure you're you you're you got a good base, and then go for it. Yeah, I remember uh, Ryan Hall saying something about like if you're able to stay in this position for long enough, you'll eventually submit them. Uh, the act of not losing the position that you've gained is a is a big deal, and I always try to think about that when I'm trying to fight for that. Like they're almost escaping, and I'm trying to keep it like keep that dominant position, and then I could rework for the submission uh, later on. Yeah, and then you know a lot of time, if you, like you said, you keep that dominant position, you may miss the first armbar. Then you may you miss that, but you're still in that position. You go for a kimura, you miss that the arm bar comes back pretty soon if that if you stay in the dominant position long enough that person on the bottom is gonna make a mistake and that once that mistake comes that's your chance to capitalize on it yeah or really you're getting more practice on that top position trying more and more techniques and just getting rolled over and having to deal with a different part of your game uh, yeah, eventually yeah. get better i mean your, your arm bar will get tighter your kimura will get will get better so Gary, the king of the Kimura, so uh, at least uh, against us two anyway. Uh, so any Kimura advice Gary's giving me, I'm going to take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put a link to this article on uh, the show notes on the ep- this episode. I invite you to go check it out. Uh, if you haven't quite got enough BJJ Brick podcast this week, you can get a little bit more uh, by signing up for our newsletter. Um, it comes out every week. It's uh, mostly the show notes at the bottom of the show notes there'll be a link to a Dropbox folder with some audio files in there they're like kind of like mini episodes so check those out we're working on an audio book about your first year of jiu-jitsu we're putting the audio book in there uh, while we 
uh, build it while we edit it or make it or however you, know, however you do an audiobook, I think you can build it. Yeah, uh, definitely. During construction, build it. especially if there's bricks involved, I guess. So yeah, that makes yeah. sense. We're brick masons. Yeah, that's good in jujitsu, but it's not good if you're a basketball player. You don't want to be called a brick mason. That's what they always would call me. That's how I got the name, right? <laughs> what is it? That's bad. I, I'm not picking you for my three on three team. <laughs> this is a bad thing. Yes. Damn. I thought it was good. But no matter what, you can choke them out. So who cares? That's against the rules usually in basketball. Yeah, but you have that inner confidence that they can make fun of you for being a bricklayer in basketball. And you can just say, hey, no biggie. You can say whatever you want because uh, I can choke you unconscious. I wonder how many, totally off topic here, but just out of curiosity, and we don't have a way to answer this really, but like top-level MMA guys, like the guys have done in the UFC, did played basketball in high school. I wonder what those numbers are. Because basketball season is the same basic season as wrestling, right? True. So I wonder if that basically makes it very difficult to have played high school basketball and then do professional MMA. I'm sure somebody's done it. Yeah, oh, definitely. I guarantee it somebody's done it. I think it. that would hurt your odds. I mean, there's yeah, definitely, definitely a lot more high school I mean, wrestlers in there. Uh, be a wrestler. A wrestler's <laughs> going to give you that good base. You know, the high school wrestler is going to give you good base to start working everything else. Imagine if we went from wrestling season uh, to jujitsu season in the, in our school systems. Uh, how yeah, you imagine like instead of football, you did MMA, and then winter sports came, and that was wrestling, and the spring sports was jujitsu. That'd be crazy. We'd have the toughest country in the world. While we do. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be even tougher than we are. That would be crazy. Maybe we'd be in a little better shape than we would uh, than we are now as a country. Yeah, have yeah. mix a little fun into it. But, I mean, that's what's happening today, though. You see a lot of these younger kids, like you and I started late, and really there wasn't a lot of jiu-jitsu there, and there were rarely any kids that trained. And now, boy, you're seeing a ton of young kids training. So uh, uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think it's just different than than traditional martial arts in that um, the the parents are able to see the results, some of these techniques actually in – Competition, you know, not necessarily in jiu-jitsu. They oh, they can watch that as well. But like, you know, you see it in the on TV. You see the light arm bar. You see a rear naked choke, and you see your kid going to learn that. And then they also get the benefits of the martial art aspect of it: the respect and the and the uh, the personal growth, the self-respect, confidence, and things like that. So, uh, a lot of things going for jiu-jitsu in the future. And uh, any any good kids program is is helping build that community as well. Yeah, definitely. But Gary, we've meandered off topic like we typically do. As usual. It's been fun. Let's uh, let's head that way towards Danny uh, Dring, and we'll get the interview rolling for you guys, my friends. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. After winning ADCC, Barbara Walters interviewed him, and she cried. He once got lost in the Amazon jungle. He had a flying arm bar on an anaconda. Word on the street is, he once escaped Alcatraz by shrimp crawling. During The Ultimate Fighter, Dana White often calls him for a pep talk. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Danny Dring to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Danny, how are you doing today? Ah, doing wonderful. 
Good. Uh, heard you got a little bit of snow there, and you're kind of snowed in today, so I caught you on a good day. I'm happy to have you here. Ah, well, thanks, man. I'm real excited to be here, and and uh, yeah, we uh, we got we got that unusual snowfall here in Arkansas, so I'm at home, got the dog barking in the background, and uh, kids watching TV, and we're we're uh, we're snowbound, so it's a great day to talk to you. All right, those are good days. I remember those days when I was a kid. Staying home from from school and, and hanging out in the snow. Um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself if somebody hasn't heard of you yet, Danny? Sure, sure. Um, I got my start uh, in the martial arts through uh, Taekwondo. That's my uh, introduction introduction into the martial art world. Uh, I'm an eighth degree black belt in uh, Taekwondo, and uh, was able to uh, I competed all over the world doing my Taekwondo. I've got six international gold medals. Two international silver medals uh, as a Taekwondo player. I was on the ITF USA team and fought in Athens, Greece back in 1987, which now I'm telling how old I really am. Um, and uh, I was team captain of the uh, Global Taekwondo Federation USA team, fought in uh, at a Goodwill Games in uh, Moscow, Russia back in '93. I, uh, I was a uh, national champion in the men's third and fourth degree black belt division for the United States Taekwondo Federation for four years, so uh, it was pretty competitive uh, in Taekwondo. Wow. I was also active in kickboxing. Um, I actually fought on ESPN back in the day. Uh, I, uh, uh, Joe Lewis was a major influence. Joe fought the first kickboxing match in America, and I'm real proud to uh, have a seventh degree black belt under uh, Joe Lewis in kickboxing. Uh, Bill Wallace um, is another uh, major influence. You know, one thing about Bill Wallace, all people don't know, is that he's got fantastic game. Bill was, uh, you know, he's known for his kicking. He had a yeah. fantastic kicker, and he was undefeated as a kickboxer. But uh, Bill uh, taught judo. At, uh, he was a judo, co- I mean, uh, a wrestling coach at uh, Memphis State. Uh, he was the wrestling coach there. Uh, and uh, he was also a judo player, and I think some of the... Uh, one of the best judo seminars I ever went to was taught by Bill Wallace, you know. But uh, yeah, I also hold a seventh-degree black belt uh, with Bill Wallace. And, uh, you know, those two guys were, I mean, they were mixed martial artists before mixed martial arts was cool. Joe was the first person to ever ask me, you know, what are you going to do if a big wrestler shoots at your feet? And and uh, was always a proponent of uh, of studying and training on the ground. And he was one of the main reasons why I, you know, searched out uh grappling and ground fighting. I also have a seventh-degree black belt in the Japanese style of jiu-jitsu called weeping style. It's kind of a stand-up control hold, self-defense, more focused uh, stand-up self-defense art. And then uh, I'm a third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, I'm also a defensive ta- certified as a defensive tactics instructor through minimum standards of Arkansas law enforcement here in Arkansas. I'm a the defensive tactics instructor for the Pulaski County Sheriff's Department. And that's Got a lot of years uh, working uh, the street, and uh, I'm also a civilian carry concealed handgun instructor. Teach the uh, carry concealed uh, class here in Arkansas that you have to have to get a concealed carry license. And so, uh, and I try to be a complete martial wow. artist. Yeah, you know, stand up, ground all around. Yeah, that's uh, you've got a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Um, could you? <clears throat> I think it's important for the people that do jiu-jitsu to learn about the, some of the other martial arts. Um, it's, it's, I started Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It was the first art that I did, and and I wasn't really exposed to other ones um, other than just 
seen a little bit of them here or there. Could you, and then then we get people that come into the, to class and they have these uh, different belts and other martial arts, and I'm always curious about what their arts are about. Can you kind of describe a little bit of, of each one? Sure. Well, I mean, kickboxing is yeah pretty easy. I mean, we even maintain a USA amateur boxing club inside my gym. Um, I think that boxing is, uh, when you say kickboxing, boxing is a huge part in uh, my... Uh, I've had several uh, state and regional Golden Gloves champions come out of my gym. Um, yeah, several, I've had a couple anyway. My uh, my oldest son was a state and, and Mid-South Golden Gloves champion. And another uh, gentleman that's, uh, that that did so as well, uh, Rudy McLaughlin, um, a talented little MMA fighter, but he's doing some boxing as well. So boxing is important. That's uh, in kickboxing every year we go to the... Uh, International Kickboxing Federation. We've been going there for about 11 years and to the International Kickboxing Federation's World Amateur Championships. And for 11 years, I brought home world titles to Arkansas. So, uh, and that they have different rules in kickboxing. There's American or full contact rules, which is above the belt kicks, international rules, which allows kicks to the inside and outside of the leg. And then they have modified tie rules, which allows the plum, uh, where you grab the back of the neck and you can throw knees, uh, and the plow, or you can catch the leg and, and uh, take a step forward and try to dump somebody. You can, you know, throw uh, by the neck. But the throws in tie boxing are not supposed to involve the hips. Uh, like a judo toss, it's, it's more like slinging somebody down by their neck. Time um, to crudely describe it. Uh, so that's it. Uh, taekwondo, of course, you know, primarily a kicking, uh, a kicking art. My... In my gym, we we integrate a lot of boxing. Um, I'm uh, into our uh, we, we integrate just a lot of boxing into our taekwondo. We, yeah. we do uh, uh, kind of the traditional Chun uh, Kwan, you know, Chun Ji Dong Gun Do Son set of patterns. So, pardon me. We do the uh, we do uh, traditional forms, but then we're pretty non-traditional in that we use a lot of kickboxing methodology with our training. I mean. I have my kids jumping rope, um, doing a lot of conditioning drills. Uh, we have them hitting focus mitts and kicking tie pads. So um, our our flavor or our style of taekwondo may not look like uh, you know everybody else's. Of course, you know you have Olympic style taekwondo, and I had dabbled in that back in the day. Was a state gold medal winner for the USTU and played that a little bit, but I just didn't, I wasn't as fond of Olympic Taekwondo personally, because it's a very high, highly stylized game, and I didn't think it translated over real well, if you don't understand what's going on, you know, the, you're not punching to the face, and it uh, it becomes a very highly stylized game, and of course, some people like that, I mean, yeah. if, you know, uh, judo, for example, has become highly stylized for Olympic sport, and uh, it doesn't always translate over of course you have somebody like a ronda rousey that can you know certainly she's crossed the barrier from judo to mma but you know she's also having to cross train a lot of other stuff to be able to maintain i mean judo's her base but um you know there's no doubt she's cross training and doing a lot of other stuff um the japanese jiu-jitsu that we do is more uh it's a lot what i train my law enforcement officers for their stand-up control holds um a lot of uh, self-defense type stuff uh, involved. And then, uh, uh, you know, when it goes to the ground, uh, uh, then it's 
uh, more the BJJ, you know. And, and uh, I think any day, in, nowadays, you, know, you just have to be so open-minded. I mean, I've been to Sambo seminars and cross-trained Sambo guys. I've cross-trained with wrestlers and, and you know, cross-trained with judo. You just, um, I've always been very eclectic. You know, I was cross-training before cross-training was cool. And, you know, I was a multi-art martial artist long before I was a mixed martial artist. So I think it's uh, I think it's good. You know, Bruce Lee a long time ago said it was out fighting, in fighting, trapping, grappling, and on the mat. And uh, from a self-defense point of view, you don't know what kind of fight you're going to be. You don't know what kind of fight you're going to be in. If I yeah. know what kind of fight I was going to be in before I got there, I'd have a couple <laughs> of my buddies from the sheriff's department there to make sure there wasn't a fight. You know, I mean, uh, if you're uh, duck hunting in the in the uh, swamps of Arkansas, grappling is probably not a good idea. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're going to drown. Um, when you're out in the snow and you're bundled up like a snowman, I mean, you know, just all bundled up and can barely move, it sure is hard to punch and kick, you know, but knowing how to do some gee jokes or knowing how to grapple may be exactly what you need. So, you know, environment dictates what you need to know. And, and, uh, I think it's important to be, uh, I think it's important to be well-rounded and I've just been blessed that, uh, to be able to be a mat rat my whole life. So while <laughs> everybody else was out working a job, my job was to work out, you know, and I, I, uh, would spend several hours a day doing, you know, various disciplines that I'm involved in and, and uh, I think you know conditioning is, is a base you know it's kind of like hardware and software programming your hardware is your body and uh, so flexibility strength cardiovascular conditioning you know those things uh, uh, are important whether you're you know throwing punches or you're slapping a uma palata on somebody I mean you know you gotta be able to if you're you got to be able to breathe. You got to be able to move, and, and uh, so developing strength and flexibility. Of course, you know uh, it needs to be sport specific. There are some differences between you know some of the things you're looking for, but that's where you know if you look at the guys doing MMA, they're they're able to grapple and they're able to strike, and uh, so they're they're having to you know bridge the gap with their training between several different arts, and you know I think that's uh, that's exciting. I've watched, uh, in, in my lifetime, you know, watched martial arts become very mainstream. Now you can turn on the TV at any point in time and there's, there's, you know, you can find a fight, uh, on TV, see a cage fight and people are a lot more educated about the ground. Um, there was a time when, you know, when I first started putting on MMA shows, nobody knew what it was on the ground. I mean, crowd would, would be, you know, roaring at the guys to get back up because they just didn't understand the ground game. Now you've got people that are, you know, casual fans that, you know, they understand fundamental positioning on the ground. And, you know, now when guys hit the ground, they're yelling out names of submissions when before, you know, <laughs> it used to be nobody knew what that was. Yeah. So uh, I think it's uh, neat to see how uh, uh, the evolution of, uh, of the fight game and the martial arts and, and the martial athletes. Yeah, it's changed, and you've seen it. You know, you've had you've been in the game longer than I have, and, and and got to see the the entire start of the MMA. You know, and then up until present. So that's 
that's really cool and 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 it's i mean i guess i've 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 watched the original ufc's and stuff as well but it's it's changed really fast and and it's it's been a crazy ride of of different things and 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 what the rules want and what the and what the fans want to see and the the promoters want to show also has an effect on that as well but it's uh it continues to change and and uh the athletes have to be ready for everything oh yeah i you know, my first BJJ seminar that I attended was uh, taught by Hoy and Gracie. Hoy was just kind of the kid leaning up against the wall. It was in uh, Conway, Arkansas, of all places, uh, at a church. And uh, it was at the end of 90 or the beginning, might have been January of 91. So that was several years before the first UFC. And uh, at that time... You know, uh, Horian had, had developed a name for himself. You know, he, he was the fight choreographer for uh, one of Mel Gibson's uh, uh, movies. And, and uh, had, there was the Gracie Challenge, and it had been written about in a couple of the karate magazines. I think Playboy magazine had done an article on him. And so, uh, you know, the original Gracie Challenge stuff. And, and uh, I remember going to this uh, seminar just... I had had, you know, what I thought a little bit of knowledge on the ground, and you know what I thought and what I discovered was that I really didn't know anything <laughs> on the ground, and uh, it was it was uh, really neat. Uh, but back then, especially living in Arkansas, man, was it tough to get any training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and uh, so it was a, a seminar here, seminar there. You know, flying to California to work out with some people. I mean, it was really tough to uh to get to get training in jiu-jitsu and uh now i mean uh, the level of the game and the technical efficacy of the game has just exploded so you know not only watching you know mma grow but man i mean the what brazilian jiu-jitsu has done in america in a relatively you know short period of time is uh absolutely crazy you know i mean when I was going and coming up through the ranks, there weren't any jiu-jitsu tournaments in America. I mean, the first Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament I ever saw put on, you know, I mean, I was too busy running the tournaments, you know, and putting them <laughs> on. Now, hey, you can compete in a BJJ tournament every weekend if you're willing to travel a little yeah. bit. You know, they're, they're everywhere, you know, and there's lots of legitimate, uh, there's just lots of legitimate uh, organizations, you know, running, uh, Running, running tournaments and competing, it just—it's uh, amazing, you know. And, and competition, uh, competition breeds success. You know, I mean, uh, technique shown is the technique known. And now, uh, you know, back in the day, the VHS tape—it wasn't—it wasn't as immediate. Now, yeah. and somebody innovates something slick, it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, it's on YouTube. And everybody and their dog is studying it and looking at it and figuring out ways to counter it. And, uh, man, it is just exploding. Jiu-Jitsu never ends. I mean, it's just, it's growing and it's innovating and it's really exciting. I mean, the guys coming up now have such a huge advantage than uh, the people of my era because there's just so many more high ranks. I I remember flying to California to see another blue belt and go, wow. (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Now, you know, I mean, uh, there are a dime a dozen, you know, I mean, it's uh, it, it's amazing just the uh, the difference 
and, and how far the uh, sport has come. And, and honestly, what is relatively a uh, short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's just been a tremendous transfer of knowledge uh, all over the world. Could you describe your your game? How you like to how you like to grapple? Oh yeah, you know uh, I'm a uh, I'm a big believer in the top game. Okay. Um, part of that is because uh, uh, from a self defense, you know, I mean, I, I originally got into it um, to fill a void uh, in what I saw was my personal martial art journey, and uh, so. You know, being on bottom from a self-defense point of view can be really dangerous. Uh, however, you know, just because you don't want to go there doesn't mean you won't go there. You know, I want to have a dadgum good guard game, you know, because if yeah. you put it on your back, and I'm not a big guy, so it's, uh, you know, I mean, that's a very real uh, uh, real possibility. Um, you know, I, I want to have uh, a bloody effective guard game. But, uh I like playing from the top, and one of the reasons, too, is that from having some injuries, I've had uh, my hips, you know, I had my first hip resurfaced, which is just as invasive as a, uh, a replacement. Um, I had my first hip resurfaced about 11 years ago, and then uh, my second hip resurfaced about 12 weeks ago. What, what, so, uh, what does that mean, resurfaced? And they think like capping a tooth. Uh, okay. They they take and they cut you open. They dislocate your uh, the femur, and instead of cutting the femoral head off and running a long tap screw down the the, the femur, they uh, they take and they grind the femoral head uh, down, and then they cap it. They put a metal ball over the top of it, capping it much like a tooth. And then they take and they pound a, a metal cup into the acetabulum, uh, the pelvic girdle. And so you end up with a metal and metal weight bearing surface. The benefit to that as a uh, as an athlete is that I maintain my bone stock, uh, I maintain my femoral neck, and uh, the, the the diameter of the femoral head is about the same as the size of the femoral head that God gave you. So the potential for dislocation is a lot less. And uh, to be able to play guard, you know, you've got to you want to, you're, you're in ranges of motions that doctors will tell you don't do if you have a traditional hip replacement, you know, not, uh, uh, there's, I just felt like searching out the, uh, the resurfacing procedure and doing my homework and my research in, uh, both times, like the first doctor I used was in Salem, Oregon. Uh, the second doctor I used, my first doctor retired and then uh, the second doctor I used was in Seattle, Washington. And I wanted somebody that was really good, that would give me the best chance to get back on the mat and get back to doing what I love to do, which is train and teach and roll and and uh, continue to earn my living the way I have for a lot longer than I want to admit over the uh, podcast. <laughs> I'm getting old. But I, I'm just as passionate and having just as good a time, and uh, I want to be able to stay on the mat and keep rolling. So I, I really felt like the uh, resurfacing uh, would do that because uh, as you strengthen your, your hips back up and tighten those muscles down, the potential for dislocation is uh, greatly reduced and uh, allow you to 
you know, uh, play guard and put people in your guard, which is really putting a lot of pressure on your uh, on your hips. I mean, it's you know no surprise that the top, you know, a lot of the top jiu-jitsu guys also have the best hips. You know, I mean, uh, flexibility and range of motion and ability to uh, move. I mean, you know. Yeah, I'm always reminded of the the Happy Gilmore movie. It's all in your hips when he's telling him that, and that's that's jujitsu. It's all in your hips. It's it's where your weight is. It's where your uh, biggest muscles are. Oh yeah, it's where your center is, and you know if you can get your hips moving, then the rest of the body will follow. You know, so that uh, anytime you have an injury to your hips, it's it's crazy, and I. it's funny how many BJJ guys around the country and literally around the world have contacted me when they heard that I had my hip done and was still playing. I mean, you know, I got to go to, uh, I competed in the International Masters and Seniors down in Rio a couple of years ago. And I laugh, I tell people, you know, I was the only old white guy on the mat with an artificial <laughs> hip. And, uh, you know, that, uh, but, to me, it was just kind of a, a, a victory to even be out there competing, and uh, that. Uh, and I've had guys, uh, you know, there's a guy named Ron Dupuis that uh, in Windsor, Ontario, he's a, a, a Jean-Jacques Machado affiliate, black belt up there, runs a school. Remember having, you know, we we conversed, talked on the phone, sent a lot of emails back and forth because you know it was about uh, hey, he was going to have to have his hit done, and man, I don't want to. I don't want to give up jujitsu. What am I going to do? You know, what? And, and, uh, they're talking about, you know, the format. I even, uh, wrote a book dealing with the injury called Stay in the Fight, a martial athlete's guide to preventing and overcoming injury. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, putting a, giving yourself a blueprint for success, you know, thinking about how to deal with the fact that you've been injured, the mental attitude that you have to have, how to find a doctor that's, athletic in nature. I mean, not all doctors are created equal. Not all doctors deal with athletes, you know. I mean, uh, once somebody that's kind of got that mindset of helping me get back to doing what I'm going to do yeah. as fast as possible. And uh, so it was uh, helping, uh, you know, it's been neat to have guys call me. I've had people call me from Japan, from Mokinelle, from, you know, Canada, uh I had a guy contact me one time from Australia, you know what I mean? Going, hey, I hear you had your hip done. Man, I'm looking at having to have my hip done. What can I expect? What, you know, what are you able to do? And, you know, a lot of times, too, it's telling people, look, you got to relax. You got to give yourself a chance to don't, don't do too much too fast, but just slowly and consistently. And at my age, you know, I don't feel like I did 20, 30 years ago, you know what I mean? But, I do know that I will heal, and I'm I'm fastidious about my nutrition, about my hydration, about my rest. You know, it's slowly but surely being consistent uh, with uh, with what you do, and it's it's being disciplined. I don't miss. You know, I mean, I'm doing something for myself every day. You know, I don't uh, I don't miss. But I you also have to know when. You know, as a young guy, I mean, I thought if a little was good, a lot's got to be great. <laughs> and, uh, you, you hit a point where you realize that's not always smart training. You know, everybody trains hard. Not everybody trains smart. And, uh, you know, smart rules today. So that's, uh, that's what I'm trying to, uh, to come from. And because, uh, and because of my, you know, because of my personal experience, 
you know, I, and, and also because of my age, you know, I kind of have a little more of an old school approach. You know, I'm not real big in uh, inverting and upside down guard. And um, I, I think, you know, I, I try to avoid techniques that put a lot of undue stress on my neck. You know, as you get older, you get more brittle. And uh, things that you can pull off in your late teens and early 20s, and you're not going to do in your mid-30s or your early 40s or your early 50s. You know I mean? Uh, there's just some games that uh, are age-dependent. And uh, so now I, I try to focus on uh, on things that I know will allow me to continue to play. I, I'm a real big on uh, fundamentals. You know, I, I, you know, I think the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. You know, having really, really strong yeah. positional fundamentals having really, really uh, understanding the grip game, um, learning how to slow guys down that, you know, move like a squirrel on crack. You know? <laughs> I, got some, I got some young guys that are on the mat that, you know, purple belts, brown belts, that when they, uh, they get to moving, and I, I, can, I can still move fast, but I can't move as fast or as long as they can, you know? So uh, trying to slow that game down and, and control uh, – you know, get them get them controlled, and that's having uh, a, a strong understanding of uh, basics, strong understanding of fundamentals, strong understanding of grip and positioning. You know that uh, uh, that becomes important. You know when to play tight, when to play loose, and and so that's you know to me that uh, is is a lot where I, I focus my uh, time and energy. You know, and it's it's never ending. You know, you're constantly learning. You constantly, you got to keep up. I uh, I go to Brazil. I've been blessed to go. I got my black belt uh, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu back in 2001. Um, my coach is a gentleman by the name of Tony Emanuel, and uh, he he was here in the United States. I actually trained Tony as his coach for MMA, and uh, he holds rank with me in the Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. But I was certainly his his student when it came to the grappling and <laughs> ground and yeah. uh uh i got uh was actually presented uh at that time tony wasn't high enough rank to present the black belt so my black belt was presented to me by andre pedaneris but tony was my uh, coach so you know i was at uh andre's gym in rio spent a couple of weeks down there training uh training every day with him got my black belt and I've since been uh, back to brazil several times so. Um, you know, I just think that that's uh, really neat. Matter of fact, we did. Uh, I took a, a group of guys. Uh, every other year, we're taking a, a group of people to Brazil to do a training camp um, with my coach and uh, Maceo, which is up in the northeast of uh, Brazil. And uh, we took uh, took about a half a dozen guys down there uh, last uh, uh, last August. It was the uh, last time I was down there. And, you know, trained on the mat and rolled with the guys and. Ate all you can eat, uh, what's it, all you can eat places. And, you know, got to go to yeah. a beach and, and just did, uh, for people that want to experience the Brazilian jiu jitsu lifestyle and from, from the Brazilian point of view, I just think that's, uh, great. And it's good to keep up with what they're innovating in Brazil. And, you know, just like we're innovating here in the United States, too. I mean, our, uh, our jiu jitsu is, is, has progressed by leaps and bounds. And, you know, we got a lot of the top, uh, a lot of top Brazilians now here in the states, and you know we're uh, we're 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 rapidly, uh, I think, rapidly catching up just because we got 
kids, you know, my, my children have grown up doing BJJ. We've got so many more people that are, you know, getting into jiu-jitsu at a younger age growing up that they can't do anything but improve our jiu-jitsu overall. Yeah, I, it, it, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, we've been fortunate enough as in the United States to get some of the best black belts here, and and they've just sharing their knowledge and and, and helping everybody here get better. And, and and even if they're not near you, the internet, you could see their techniques. It's a little different than, than meeting them one on one, but it's it's uh, it's really taken off as far as that goes. Um, I want to talk a little bit about self defense because you've got your multiple arts that you're that you've studied. How about like some pros and cons of of self defense from the BJJ perspective? Um. You know, you don't have to be involved in Brazilian jiu-jitsu very long before you see the the self-defense jiu-jitsu versus sport jiu-jitsu debate, you know, rearing its ugly head. And, and, uh, you know, my deal is is that sport sport develops attributes, but people that get heavily involved, I mean, you know, I, I... 50-50 50-50 guard, you're not going to see a lot of that in a real street fight. You know, yeah. I mean, There's just going to be some things that don't necessarily lend itself over, but I think fundamentals uh, are are obviously going to uh, help. You know, jiu-jitsu changes when you start punching. Um, and, you know, when you watch an MMA fight and uh, you see, uh, you start seeing um High level, I mean, there's been some high level Mundial winners, high level black belts that have been beaten by guys whose Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was not near as good, but they had a hell of a right hand. You know, yeah. so um, being able to control space, control distancing, and uh, kind of understanding what the differences are between uh, striking and grappling. So, uh, you know, being well rounded, I think being, uh, I've always wanted to be kind of a complete martial artist and never gotten to martial arts necessarily to be a particular stylist. Um, and I've, you know, just kind of had a love affair with the martial arts my whole life. I mean, I, I didn't, I was a small skinny kid that wanted to be able to keep my lunch money. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to be able to defend myself. And so, you know, as I got into it, uh, you know, I, I didn't get into martial arts to win trophies at a point karate tournament and, or to kick box or to do a lot of the things that I ended up doing through the martial arts. I just wanted to be able to defend myself and, uh, working with, uh, law enforcement, uh, working with, I've worked with military people, both standing on the ground, law enforcement, standing on the ground. And, you know, I've done, I've, I've personally done bodyguard work. I've done, um, law enforcement work. I've, I've you know, did have concert security company, uh, so I've had a chance to practice uh, practice what I preach in a real world environment, and you know, uh, being that uh, being a complete martial arts part of it. You know, I'll tell you right now, I, in, in a fight, I mean, I have real nice swing gold medal mats on my in my gym, and they're wonderful. <laughs> but uh, if I'm working with the sheriff's department out of the county, and it's a gravel or blacktop road, I don't want to go to the ground. You know, my knees, even if you win, you can lose, you know. Yeah. If your your knees and your elbows or the back of your hands are bleeding and 
You got somebody that, you know, normal people don't mess with you. It's guys that are drunk on drugs, they're not wired right in the head. And people who are drunk on drugs, are not wired right in the head, are the same people that are at risk for, you know, hep, A, B, and C, HIV. You know, uh, they could be carrying bloodborne pathogens, so you win the fight and you die, I think you lose. You know, um, I, I would prefer people to keep their bodily fluids in them. Now, just because I don't want to <laughs> yeah. go to the ground in a street fight doesn't mean I don't want to be damn good on the ground if the fight goes there. And I can tell you from working the street, even though I've already said I don't want to go to the ground, I can tell you I've been on the ground um, with people who were trying to hurt me. And so I was really, really glad that I had good fundamentals of jiu-jitsu, you know, when the fight went there. You know, I... I I was able to maintain that it, you know, I mean, it was like another day in the gym. You know, I was able to kind of maintain or, or control that adrenaline dump and, uh, you know, sweep, reverse, mount, you know, control and uh, finish the uh, finish the situation. So uh, that having, uh, look, self-defense today, you know, the, the, it's like the threat assessment. People are evolving, and, and back in the day, man, I could tell you everybody in about a four or five state area that knew anything about the ground, you know, or people who were training uh, MMA fighters, you know, from promoting some of the early shows. But now I can't only keep up with the garage MMA gyms in my community. I mean, everybody and their brothers now cage fighter, and uh, you know, people have grown up watching. You got guys that grown up watching the UFC. There's, uh, you know, a lot of people have had a little bit of introduction to grappling through the military. So it's it's a lot more prevalent than it used to be, you know. I mean, uh, in addition to, to you know, you, there's Arkansas didn't have a lot of wrestling. They had no wrestling when I was growing up. But you got a lot of people around the country that grow up wrestling. They grow up doing, or they grow up doing judo. They grew up, they're now they're growing up doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So if you don't know the ground, you don't know how to fight. I mean, it, it's it's important that you that you have some some fundamentals. But you know, I think uh, understanding that in in a real street fight, it's going to be a lot more fundamentals. There's there's not going to be any referees. There's not going to be any rules. And your and your goal is to finish that and get back on your feet as fast as possible. That those uh, because if you're tied up and his buddy comes around the corner and kicks you in the face, it's it's going to get ugly in a in a hurry. And uh, I know just on Facebook the other day, somebody show pull up a uh, pull up a video and show me some guy was you know playing basketball and got into it with somebody else, and um, yeah, you know you almost hate to see uh, uh, personally. Uh, and, and it sparked some of the self-defense versus sport debate. But a couple of things that stuck out in my mind. Number one is that the people there were, they they actually untangled, he like he tried to slap a triangle on and they undid his legs. But they weren't dropping a knee in his face and they weren't, but it wasn't like the other guy's buddies um, were trying to beat that guy down. Yeah. But they, uh, they were pre- Preventing the guy on the ground from doing what he knew to do. And I mean, you know, just think, I mean, that was at a, over a basketball game. Just think if that had been in a bar and somebody had a beer bottle and decided to uh, 
stop this guy from doing what he knew how to do because he'd had a couple of drinks and smashed his face. I mean, um, it. Anytime you hook up, it can go volatile, and and you never know when another guy's got a knife or a gun, or if his buddy's got a knife or a gun. I mean, um, things can go downhill really, really rapidly, and so uh, you know, being able to finish somebody just as fast as possible when it goes uh, when it goes ugly, because not everybody's going to back off and let it be a fair fight, you know. Um, and and to me, in my mind, when I'm in 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 the street. The only fair fight is the one I win. You know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll pepper spray you, beat you with a baton, and run you over with my truck before I mount you and armbar you. You know what I mean? That's, and that's from a self-defense point of view. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a different mentality. And there's, uh, I, I think you have to have that uh, a little bit of a different mentality. You know what I mean? Uh, of course, when I'm training law enforcement, there's constraints. You know, and, and you have to realize, uh, legally, you know, it's not just enough to be able to defend yourself physically. You'll have to be able to defend yourself legally as to why you did what you did. And yeah. I've done expert witness testimony and use of force cases. And, uh, you know, if somebody bumps into you and you, uh, you know, put them in a crucifix and break their neck, um, that may not be, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's an not appropriate cool. response yeah. to, to, uh, to the threat, you know, um, so, and, and, you know, there's no law that says when you choke somebody out that they got to wake up. Um, you know, we tend in our gyms, you know, when you're in your academy or in your school and you apply, you know, Mataleon, you, you know, you put the lion kill, you put the rear naked choke on somebody. That person is probably an athlete. He's young, you know, he's in your gym, he's working out, you know, healthy. Um, you can't tell by looking at somebody if that person's, you know, damaged his blood vessels because he drinks a lot or he's got a really piss poor diet or, you know, whatever. Somebody can, you know, appear healthy on the outside and be very unhealthy on the inside. And so when you start messing with the blood pressure and they pop an aneurysm in the brain and die, you know, uh, it, it, it becomes different. Um, vascular neck restraints, uh, should only be used in the greatest extreme. And, and we just saw that with the uh, cops in New York. You know, they then they weren't even doing a choke. I mean, yeah. there's supposedly, you know, a seatbelt technique to drag somebody down off their feet. The guy starts complaining that he can't breathe, and then he go, ends up, uh, you know, dying. Well, he was extremely overweight, and he was obviously not a healthy individual. But look at the consequences, you know. So, uh, uh and, and it's funny, too, when you start talking about that, and obviously there's going to be self-defense situations arise, but I've, I've taught a lot of seminars to a lot of martial artists all over the uh, all over the country and literally all over the world. I mean, I've, the last couple of times I've been to Brazil, I taught self-defense seminars for BJJ academies down there. And uh, when you start asking people, okay, how many of y'all were in a fight last night? How many were you in a fight last week? How many of you were in a fight last month? Yeah. I mean, you go back in time far enough and somebody will raise their hand. But unless you were actively involved in a uh, profession that requires, you know, bouncing or law enforcement or, you know, something like that, the average person is not involved. And it's a good thing. But the average person is not involved in really violent encounters on a day-in, day-out basis. And... uh you know, when you start trying to put a handle on that thing called violence and self-defense, I mean, 
you know, you start drawing a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of different mental pictures. And I just got through reading a book by, uh, uh, Rory Miller called, uh, Meditations on Violence. And I highly recommend it to anybody that's, uh, you know, into, into self-defense because, um, you know, there's a lot of different faces to this thing we call self-defense, and there's a lot of different faces to this thing we call we call violence. And, you know, a lot of people have the romantic view of the one-on-one male encounter. And uh, when, when it may be a three-on-one or a four-on-one, or it could be with knives and guns, or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different things. And, you know, like I said earlier, one of the reasons why I got in, I mean, I don't think any one art has all the answers. You know, that's why uh, I actively uh, cross-train. And, and, you know, if you're not inclu- including weapons training in your overall program of self-defense, then I think you're living in a fantasy world. Sticks, knives, and forty fives are my weapons of choice. Um, you know, I, I teach the carry concealed class. I'm a big believer in firearms because I don't care what you know. If the other guy has got a little bit of distance and he's got a weapon, you're really, really in a world of hurt. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's having a very clean understanding. I mean, I, I train my martial arts for health and for fun and for fitness, and uh, but I also want to have a very strong idea of, of self-defense because I work in law enforcement. I, I train law enforcement officers. I've got a lot of guys from the military that are in my gym, and I've I trained the military seminars, and, uh, you know, their uh, uh, concepts of violence uh, where, you know, there's uh, battlefield-type conditions, or you're talking about a cop that's working in the hood or dealing with drug addicts and, and violent criminals are going to be a little bit different than the casual player that uh, is worried about somebody bowing up on them in the club, so... You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of differences when it comes to violence. Yeah, I just pulled up that book you mentioned, Meditations on Violence, a comparison of martial arts training and real world violence. That seems very interesting because there is there always seems to be that thing like this is this would work in a fight and this would not. In, in reality, I carry a pocket knife on me, so I'm always if I'm in a fight, I always there's always a knife involved in the fight, whether I pull it out or not, or whether he knows it or not, and there's. I, I can't count on being the only person, uh, only one person I'm fighting against. I mean, that if you start winning, you could count on his buddies to show up, or you could. It's just there's so many more factors than just the just the the basic training that I have. The big situational situational awareness, not focusing too much on just the one person there in front of you. It it you know it's all you know like you said that you know the people that have mental problems and do drugs and, and all these crazy things. Those are the places to not go where those people hang out, <laughs> and hopefully you'll just yeah. steer clear of any of those troubles. <clears throat> and I and I yeah. and I really uh, like how you're talking about like fair fight. You know, uh, somebody once told me that if you're in a fair fight, your tactics are terrible. You you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, you need to go home. You need to be able to make it out of the situation alive. So I mean, do that. You know, fair fights. If you want a fair fight, go way in at the pan. <laughs> you know, I, got, I, I was on. Uh, you know, I was talking, I got a purple belt that's going to the Pan Ams, and, and we were talking earlier today, because uh, uh, he had a little rib injury, and, and you know, what he needed to do, uh, 
excuse me, help baby that rib injury a little bit. So he's going to be prepared. Talk about, well, you know, look, give your ribs a rest. Let's work on some grips. Do work on your lower body flexibility. Give yourself a day off to let it heal up. Your training's been off the chain. You're, you're where you need to be. That's a fair fight. You know, going, weighing in, being prepared to compete. You know, you want a fair fight, go to a tournament. You know, you, uh, but, but the street isn't going to be fair. You know, I've never seen a street fight where the guys weighed in first and, you know, we're at the same level of training. And, I mean, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. And that's just it. And most people, too, when you go to a tournament, uh, you go compete, you go to the gym, and you know, hey, we're going to be rolling tonight or whatever. You're mentally prepared. You know, are you mentally prepared to walk outside your 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 house or you know step outside your office or or you know step out and turn around and have somebody headbutt you and elbow you just because i mean you know you've got to be able to go from 0 to 100 there's uh there's time lags that can be involved before a lot of people go into denial i mean you know real uh real violence isn't something fortunately like i said most people have to deal with and and uh the psychophysiological effects of a violent encounter. I mean, you start getting the dump, uh, you know, your, your heart rate, being able to control that heart rate, being able to stay focused, not getting uh, tunnel vision, um, being, able to, being able to perform when you're, uh, uh, when, when the adrenaline, norepinephrine, norepinephrine, that beta catecholamine system kicks in and everything hits you and you get that dump of body chemicals because you realize, oh my God, this guy outweighs me by 50, 60, 70 pounds, you know, I mean, you know, full guard, I mean, you know, and again, you talk about self-defense and, you know, you have somebody that has a great guard game and he pulls guard and you have somebody that outweighs him by 75 pounds, picks him up and gorilla smashes the back of his head on the concrete two or three times, you know, that really isn't like anything that you do in class where, you know, picking people up and slamming them is prohibited, you know? I'm going to I'm gonna flip out if somebody starts doing that on my <laughs> students when we're in the gym room, yeah, yeah. you know? But unfortunately, you know, you get somebody that's, uh, you know, cra- drug-crazed and strong as hell. I mean, that may be exactly, you know, if he finds himself in the guard, that may be exactly what he wants to do is pick you up and, and power slam you. And, and, you know, uh, if you look at a lot of the early UFCs, you know, what happened when guys were caught in triangle? I mean, hell, even in today's UFCs. But, uh, you know, what happens when people get caught in a triangle or get caught? You would see people, you know, pick each other up and gorilla slam them. And uh, sometimes the devastating effect, and that's on mats, you know, when you put it on, on asphalt or concrete or, or gravel, you know, those same kind of slams can be... Uh, absolutely brutal, you know, so uh, it's all food for thought, you know, and I mean, uh, I had a, there was a guy back in the day by the name of Bart Vale, was uh, uh, one of the guys, I mean, he was doing shoot fighting in in Japan in the 80s, you know, back before anybody knew uh, anything that was going uh, going on. I had the pleasure of... uh, I actually emceed a fight between him and uh, Dan Severin back in the day. You know, I thought it was really cool because here are, you know, two of the, the grandfathers, godfathers of the MMA, you know, uh, Dan Severin and, yeah. and, you know, the Beast and, and uh, 
Bart, Bart Bell. Anyway, I was at this uh, Bart Bell seminar, and he said, you know, in a fight, technique is like a seatbelt. It helps, but it still hurts. <laughs> you know, kind of seatbelt in a car wreck, you know. I mean, if you have your seatbelt on, it could save your life, but the car wreck's still going to hurt you. And I thought, yeah, you know, what an appropriate... I've thought about that several times over the years, and, and you know, technique in a real street fight is kind of like that. I mean, you can come out ahead and you can win, but guy is still going to hurt. So uh, I, I thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting, and and obviously, you know, I mean, what you're looking for out of your martial art program, I, I think if you got if you're a trained athlete and you're quick and you're in shape, and uh, yeah, your sport jiu-jitsu can help you out in a fight. Um, but it, it depends on the metrics. I mean, it's just such a large animal to talk about that uh, sport jiu-jitsu isn't self-defense, you know? And uh, there's – but then again, you know, how often are you involved in a self-defense situation? I hear these guys, they're holy rollers about self-defense, and I'm like, okay, so – when was the last time you actually did any of the shit you're talking about? You know, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I know that, uh, hell, I mean, it's, fortunately for us, it's not something that we roll up on all the time unless you're in a handful of very specific professions or you're really a bad dude. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, it, it's interesting. So, but I, I do feel like, you know, Obviously, I, I, I started training jiu-jitsu initially, you know, not to go compete in the Masters and Seniors or, you know, not to go win trophies, but to fill a gap in my personal self-defense training. And that's, man, what am I going to do if somebody football tackles me on the ground and wants to grill or smash my head off the concrete? What the hell would I do? Yeah. And uh, now I have answers for that. And, uh, you know, the sporting aspects came later. I mean, I've been, I've had, I've had students go to Abu Dhabi, the World Submission Wrestling Championships. I've had guys that uh, competed in, in the pans, the Mundials, you know, have literally competed all over the world. And, you know, that uh, that's great. I, I, you know, I, I will sing the, the virtues of, uh, of competing. I mean, I think that, you know, it's important. Uh, I don't think it's the main thing. I'm not. I'm just as happy to train people that aren't interested in competing as I am the competitors, you know? Yeah. Some people, their stages of life, or for whatever reason, they're not as pumped up about competing. But then you've got some young guys, and, and or maybe some not-so-young guys and gals, that uh, for them, man, that's what they want to do. They want to go compete, and I want to be able to have the, I think as a coach, I want to make sure that I'm maintaining my technical knowledge and abilities to be the best coach that I can be for the people that are interested, you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's not, it's not for everybody, but the people who, who want to do it, hopefully they really enjoy it there. Along those lines, what advice would you have for somebody that's going to do their first tournament in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? You know, that, uh, I think it's really important to have fun. You know, people get so caught up in winning that they forget to do the things that they need to do to win, you know? And I, I, I know as a young man, I had competitive monsters, and I was so focused, win, 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 that I forgot to have fun. And as I grew older, and I went, you know, man, I do really well in the gym when I'm having fun, and I'm into 
I'm into doing, I'm into performing. So your focus needs to be on having fun and doing your technique. And then you know what? Winning may be a natural byproduct of that. You know, people get so caught up in the winning. And, and bottom line is, is that when they say 100 years from now, it doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you that after your first competition, 10 minutes later, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, it'll matter to you. Yeah. But it really doesn't matter to anybody else on God's green earth. There are so many tournaments. It's another day in the life. You know, if you look at it, it's like, hey, I mean, it's an exciting experience. You know, it's an adrenaline dump. It's excitement. It's a chance to test yourself against other people's. I mean, there is just a myriad of reasons why. I mean, it's a, it's a great thing. And so, you know, I, I wrestle with the fact that a lot of times, man, people will train like there's no tomorrow, and they put all this this internal pressure on themselves. But you got to remember, failure isn't fatal and success isn't permanent. You know, doing well at a jiu-jitsu tournament or, or doing well in an MMA fight or doing well as a football player, performing doesn't make you a better person. How you treat other people makes you a better person. You know, we confuse our sport athletes. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys that are fantastic football, basketball, baseball players, you know, jiu-jitsu players, MMA fighters, they're not necessarily good people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think how you treat others is what makes you a good person. So, you know, it's putting it in. I want my guys to train like there's no tomorrow, but then I want them to realize there is. And ultimately, it's another day. For me, you know, the victory is in how you prepare. It's rising up. It's making meeting the challenge. It's being disciplined. It's, you know, hitting the gym and getting the roles in and, and you know, analyzing your game and, and looking at your weaknesses and improving yourself, you know, I mean, is it, you know, how are your takedowns? Maybe your takedowns aren't that great, so you work on takedown defense. Maybe you're great at, you know, are you able to pull guard? Are you a jump? Are you a guard player? How do you, uh, how do you attack from that? Uh, you know, what, where do you like to play? Where's your game? You know, and can you impose your will? Can you, can you actually keep it to where you've been training? You know what I mean? It uh, doesn't do you any good if you've really been focusing on all your cool side control attacks and you end up on the bottom in the guard and you don't know how to put somebody on their back and put them in side control, you know, or, uh, you know, and, and there's so many, so many things that, uh, that the competition will teach you about yourself, about where you need to improve. And, uh, you know, so it, I want people to focus on the process and not the result. You know, how, and, 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 man, you are one injury away from being a player to a fan. You know, I mean, you can get so caught up in, in, in the winning and losing that you forget to enjoy the process. Man, it's supposed to be fun. You know, have a good time. Uh, and, you know, I mean, how many times have you been at a tournament and you hear people waiting for their division to be called and they go, man, I just want it to be over with. Yeah. And, I'm, and, I, and I think to myself, man, what a horrible, you know, they're, they, that just means they're wired up, they're nervous, they hate the, the feeling of anticipation and they're done. You know, I hate it when I hear people say that because I'm like, hey, you know, I mean, you're competitive. I mean, hopefully you'll be blessed and you'll get to compete for years but the chances and the odds are good that you won't. So enjoy the process, man. Get into being around other people who love what you love. You know, get into, get into checking out the matches. See what's going on. What's winning. 
you know, revel in that, that time of your life where you are a competitive athlete and you're able to be out there with other people, other like-minded people. Don't, don't hurry up and want that to be over. Man, life, it's not a race to the end. Life is short, you know? And so, in, you know, to be able to enjoy that, I think is just so much better. And let's face it, we all perform better when we're having fun. I mean, you know, we all do. So that's, uh, that's my biggest advice right there. Relax, enjoy it. You know, be competitive. Hell, nobody wants to lose. You know, you show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. You know, I mean, <laughs> no, nobody want to lose. I mean, you know, but you gotta, you gotta be able to be philosophical enough about it to realize, man. Nobody, if you show me somebody wins them all, and I'll show you somebody that picked their matches way, way too well. You yeah, know? yeah. You got, you got to challenge yourself. Well, that's really good advice. Have a good time at your tournament there, and and. uh and take it for what it's worth, the whole experience, not just the, the, the few minutes that the match is. Enjoy the entire experience of, of competing. Um, you've, you've done jiu-jitsu for so long. I'm very curious to know what you were like as a blue belt, because it was like a different – I think blue belts today are different than they were when I was a blue belt. But, like, what was it like, and what were you like as a blue belt? And it was fundamental. Uh you know, I'm running a school as a blue belt. I was, I was teaching jiu-jitsu as a white belt because that was the only way I could practice yeah. it was to show somebody something. I mean, how are you supposed to perform? And uh, I actually, one of the biggest things is I, I actually had my coach come and live with me. I mean, I I had Brazilians that, you know, I sponsored and brought in and had to stay in my house. And so we were able to train a lot. And, uh, it was funny too because when there's language barriers, and I didn't know a lot of, I didn't learn stuff by name. You know, I was do this. You know, people putting your hand where it was supposed to be put, and and you know, a lot of it was with rolling. And you know, I think it's difficult when you come up in an academy where there's the only high other high rank in the gym is the coach, and then you know there wasn't the spread. I mean, you know, when you've got you know, and that's one of the things I point out when we go to Brazil, when I take these guys to Brazil, it's like there'll be 10, 15 black belts on the mat or more. And then you've got browns and purples and blue. I mean, you've got a whole spread of ranks, and you've got different body types. You know, little guys jiu-jitsu is different than big guy jiu-jitsu. I mean, somebody that's got long arms and legs versus somebody that, you know, longer torso, shorter arms or legs, people that are heavy, people, I mean, you know your size is going to is going to dictate your personal gain, your flexibility, and your strength. All your physical attributes uh, are going to help shape your personal game. And I love that concept of of game. I mean, um, you know, I, I think sometimes there's almost too much to jujitsu, and you don't have to be good at everything to be good at jujitsu. You know, what you need to do is to learn how to understand yourself and your own body as it relates to you. Now, I, and I, I like to use the analogy of a, of a buffet. I mean, you go to a buffet and there, there's all kinds of meats and there's all kinds of vegetables and there's all kinds of starches and desserts. And you go and, you know, after you've been to the buffet several times, you may have sampled everything, but you're going, man, well, I really like that roasted rotisserie chicken over here. And these are the veggies I like. And, man, this is going to be the, the starch that I like. Or I've learned, man, I can't eat that because it puts weight on me. And, you know, <laughs> I'm going to bypass. 
you pick and choose. Well, the techniques in jiu-jitsu kind of like that buffet now. You know, it takes you a while. What are the, what are the, you know, the macro, you know, what are the proteins and the carbs? What are your fundamentals? So, you know, positioning and what are the, you know, what are the side dishes? And, you know, how, how do you detail off of that? You have to learn how to develop your game for your particular body type. Yeah, know? I'm reminded we of what you said. I didn't have a knowledge of that. I, I didn't have a knowledge of that as a blue belt. Okay. Uh, you know, those are concepts that I think I've created from being in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a long time. But the original guys teaching BJJ were fresh from Brazil. They didn't always have good English language skills. Um, they they didn't always communicate, or, or some things were were a lot more quiet because they didn't have the words. And and. Uh, Sometimes the training was pretty random, you know. I mean, you would learn a really cool technique from, you know, you'd warm up, you'd learn a really cool technique from the back, and then you rolled. And it's like, then I was put on my back, and I worked out of the guard, and I never got to even try the cool technique from the back. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and then, you know, maybe it was hard to remember, because all you could think of was, wow, I was being squished, you know, or, I mean, I, I, I was spent all my time in dude's guard or I spent all my time on the bottom and I never got to work that particular technique. And then the next time you came to class, it was a different cool technique from a totally different position. And it took a while to see the forest from the trees. And, uh, you know, being able to, to go, okay, what is the glue that binds? Well, movement. I mean, I define jujitsu with movement because I can't teach strength. I can teach you how to make your strength stronger, but you might have a guy in there that can bench 350 or 400 pounds, and you've got a girl in class that she's never, she could lift weights and do steroids the rest of her life, and she's never going to bench 400 pounds. But you can both get them hipping out in a shrimp. You know what I mean? You know, I can teach you how to bridge. That's a movement. Yeah. But I may not be able to teach you to squat 500 pounds. Yeah. So I believe that, that movement is really important. And I think one of the biggest differences is that because we've got so many more years of jiu-jitsu here in America that people define the game of jiu-jitsu way, way different. Now it's not taught. It's a random assortment of techniques. Now you have games and the, the level of teaching because the level of communication, even the guys like the first time Hobson Morrow was in my home, he didn't speak English. Now Hobson's got great English. Yeah, he you know, does. I mean, he's a great coach, and man, he can look at you and he can tell you techniques that work for your body size and type. I mean, I love. I, I just, you know, I mean, I'm just such a huge fan uh, and proud to call him my friend. You know, I mean, I, I I just love Hobson to death. But the first time I trained with him, he was just demonstrating techniques. You know, I mean, because he didn't speak English. Well. Fast forward a whole bunch of years later, you know, I mean, he's got great English and he can, you know, he can communicate very well philosophy and technique and strategy. But a lot of that was difficult for the early guys and just because of the language barrier. Yeah. You didn't always, uh, you didn't always get that. So I think the overview of the game has really changed. The ability for people to go to tournaments, and there were no tournaments when I was a blue belt, you know, I mean, it just didn't. That aspect wasn't there for me, and I, I think that you know competition uh, is important in, in people's overall all development. And uh, so, 
I think the blue belt of today is is so far advanced. You know, I know that in in my my skills, you know, my deal now is to be the best coach I can be. So I know that my skills as a coach have improved just my experience in jiu-jitsu, the years that I've been training, you know, the students that I've produced. I mean, if I'm doing, if I'm continuing to grow as a martial artist, which, you know, i.e. as a coach, um, then the people I produce ought to be better today than they were 10 years ago. You know, I mean, that's, and I like to believe that that's true. I mean, I, yeah. I look at, uh, uh, you know, I look at what's happening, and I look at the abilities of the guys and the affiliates and the people that are training with me and involved with me. And man, I'm just I'm so impressed. I mean, uh, with what's coming, you know, down the pipe. And it's not just with my team, but it's with teams all across America. You know, because I think that holds true. You know, experience is the single greatest predictor of success on the job. And you've just got so many more guys with so much more experience. And we're getting, everybody's getting better, you know, and it's just exciting. I mean, right now is an exciting time for people to be getting into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They're just so much, you know, I, it's funny. I saw uh, a thing on the internet the other day, and there's some greasel, uh, grizzled old geezer, you know, in my day there were two guards, open and closed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, kind of hit me where I live. I was like, man so scary. I mean, the guard games and the, the technicality of what we do. I mean, things have just, you know, exploded. And, and uh, it's really uh, cool to have been able to watch that development and to help introduce people to it. You know, I mean, I, I just I think it's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I remember back to the analogy you made during the beginning of the interview. Uh, you have hardware and software. You know, the hardware is your body and the software is what you're going to learn about it. And then, like, thinking about like your hardware may not be able to do certain things that certain softwares, you might not be able to run the new windows, uh, whatever the new windows is. Uh, you need to learn what, what fits you. And it sounds like somewhere along the, the line, you learned that, that like they're teaching jujitsu techniques, but they didn't all work for you. But then you learned what works for you and that what fits your hardware. And that's, and that's what you're able to do. And that's what you're teaching. Now you're able to tailor that to the student. You're able to and, and communicate that well to, to your students as a, as a coach. Yeah, I, and and that's exactly it. I'm glad you're able to to glean that because you know we're all going to uh, as you get older, you have to reinvent yourself as a martial artist. So if you have an analogy, if if you got a framework for development, and it's you know I don't want to worry about oh man you know I, you thicken up as you get older. Yeah, you get more brutal as you get older and. I mean, nobody, nobody staves off father time forever. I mean, at, I think it was UFC four. I got to go to a seminar taught by Helson Gracie, and Elio was on was there, and actually got on the mat and put me in a submission. You know, got down and I hey, I got choked by Elio Gracie. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah. You know, I mean, I was a face in a seminar with fifty other people. You know, but I just to me, shit, I'll never forget that. I'm like, oh man, that was so cool but his game at his age wasn't what a 22 year old guy's game is going to be i mean you know and, and to stay with it um i mean people are going to go oh hey you know that stupid flexibility i had in my knees or that you know rubber guard is 
I'm not a fan of rubber guard. I think that's a really good way of blowing out your knee as you get older. Now, if you're 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, man, fantastic. And then, you know, depending on, on your flexibility and movement, but, dude, you know, I mean, you're putting a lot of pressure on your joint yeah. at extreme angles, and that's a really good way of, you know, and that knee's not going to be so flexible once you rip uh, the ACL. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, and and who knows? You know, I mean, it could be that that day you just weren't hydrated enough. You know, yeah, popped a, uh, uh, you know, ended up rupturing some cartilage or tearing something because you you weren't quite hydrated enough. And now that may never be a go back to. That may not be the game that you need to play anymore. Yeah, you know, things that you can do in your twenties, you may not be able to do in your thirties. Things you can do in your thirties, you may not be able to do in your forties. But the fundamentals of jujitsu aren't going to change. You know, grips, you know, position, certain fundamentals, and then it's up to you to be able to figure out how am I going to keep, how am I going to keep playing this game? Yeah. You know, what, what can I do? And, and uh, that framework for development, I think, becomes really important in it. And, and again, hardware and software, you know, health. Health is a big part of jiu-jitsu. The jiu-jitsu lifestyle should be a healthy lifestyle. You know, I mean... If you're out running around doing wrong all night, and, and <laughs> you're not going to be performing as well on the mats the next day. I mean, yeah. you know, there, there may be a certain time in your life where you can get away with that for a little bit, but it will catch up to you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, so learning health and fitness and wellness and, man, just having fun, getting out there and playing and enjoying jiu-jitsu is just so... Uh, it's just so important, you know, I'm, and that's what's going to keep you playing. Yeah, I'm reminded, you know, you're talking about these doing certain techniques that you won't be able to do ten years later. I'm 35. I'm I'm starting to feel like I'm I'm not healing as fast, and I'm starting to feel like I shouldn't. I'm not going to be able to do this technique in five or ten years. So I don't even know. I'm done with it. If I can't, I, I want to work on stuff that's good for the long haul for me. Like that. That's going to be. Uh, that I continue to get better at. You know what I mean? I don't want to spend all this time and energy learning a technique that in a few years I'm not going to be able to do or that might even injure me. So it's I'm kind of you know kind of makes me think about how I'm trying to change my game and adjust things. Uh just real interesting uh thoughts coming from you Danny. It's it's really cool to hear those things. Um how could somebody keep up with you and and you know website or follow you on Facebook? How can how can people follow you? Yeah, uh, uh livingdefense.com uh, is my uh, uh, school website, and then there's a contact page there for me. Uh, Danny Dring, LDMA, uh, on Facebook, or uh, Living Defense Martial Arts on Facebook are all uh, good ways. Um, I'm going to be in uh, Terry Dowland's uh, uh, Martial Arts Symposium in Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, and uh, I'll be up there teaching uh, along with just a ton of other fantastic martial artists. Uh, I always enjoy going up to the Northeast and teaching up there. And um, fortunate, blessed to go around and kind of share my love of uh, the martial arts, different schools and academies around the country. And uh, I try to post up where I'm going to be at or where I'm going on uh, Facebook. So that's it. And then uh, if anybody's ever had an injury, you know, that uh, my book, Stay in the Fight, is available on uh, Amazon. Okay. Uh, go to Amazon, just type Danny Dring in, or go to Black Belt uh, Magazine. They uh, it's published by Black Belt Magazine, so they have it. But, you know, injury is real. I, 
I, you know, you, you play long enough, and whether it's a separated rib or a, you know, a, a knee injury, a shoulder injury, I mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're done, but you have to be smart. And uh, I tell people, look, older athletes have to be smarter athletes, you know, spending a little more time warming up. Uh, I've seen guys that their idea of warming up was grabbing somebody and rolling. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, all it takes is one popped rib or, you know, one slipped disc or one back injury. And they're like, whoa, you know, and I'm like, hey, there's a reason why good exercise physiology incorporates a warm-up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, need to, you need to take care of yourself so you can do this. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I hope to be on the mats for for years to come, and, and uh, but I know i got to be smart, you know, and, and uh, about how I do it. And there's lots of good, uh, there's lots of good information out there and, and uh, on, uh, on training smart, and, and uh, you know, that's the thing, you know, for the people that are just getting going in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, man, I, I've been doing this a long time, and I'm, I'm, I want to keep doing it for a long time, and, you know, train smart. Everybody can train hard. Not everybody trains smart, and the winners, the champions, and the ones that enjoy lifetime of doing jiu-jitsu train smart. You know, so anyway, there's good food for thought in that book, and, and uh, man, I, I'd encourage people to reach out there and grab it. That's awesome. Well said about, about training smart there. Cool. Well, listen, if, if your travels ever bring you through Arkansas, man, you got a place to come roll. All right. And, thank uh, you. You know. Please, uh, please stop by, and if I can ever be of assistance to you and any of your endeavors, keep me in mind. All right, thank you. I appreciate that, Danny. You have All a right, bro. Yep, you have a good day. You too, man. All Take right. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to thank Danny Dring for the interview. Uh, really a lot of good information, especially getting over some of your injuries. Uh, we're all going to have those bumps and bruises and things. Uh, it's important to... Uh, a few a few episodes back, we talked with uh, Steve Maxwell about not getting injured during your off-the-mat training. But we're all going to get the bumps and bruises and, and little injuries during training. Those are pretty much uh, hard to avoid. Um, it's a contact sport. You know, you just don't want to get a Sayers injury. But, you know, Danny's got some great advice to help, help you get through those and, and get you back on the road to, to doing what you want to do. So that yeah, and that's really cool. a big key. We need to stay healthy. We all want to get better. We all want to have fun. So staying healthy is the key, uh, you know, decreasing our injuries, decreasing the chances. Best best advice we can get. Yep. Gary, the ghee patch uh, little pile that I have here is getting shorter. So uh, That's good. Well, that's good. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're wanting the ghee patch, people time are wearing is, the uh, ghee patches. They're representing. I hope so. Representing the brick. Yep. I hope so. If you would like a a BJJ Brick Gee Patch, um, the easiest way to get one is to write a review on iTunes or on Stitcher. Drop us an email at bjjbrick at gmail.com and let us know you did that. And uh, we'll get with you and figure out how to get you get your address from you um, for the United States uh, listeners here. Just going to send it out free, you know. I mean, there's not an easy way to charge you two or three bucks for a gee patch and mail it over over the internet or whatever. I don't know how to fax a dang gee patch either, so that's You out. can fax a picture of it, but I don't think that would work because then you'd have to cut it out and the paper would rip. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I could. I mean, there's a picture of it online already, so if you want to be able to print that picture and then... You could do that yourself. Get, get, yeah. a, get a glue stick. Save the fax. Glue yeah. sticks, yep. yeah. Put it out in the hot car, let it, let it melt in real good, and then send us a picture of that. You got some great ideas. Yeah. yeah. Well, Those yeah, man. I mean, I, but yeah, in all reality, though, who doesn't like free? 
So uh, freaky patch. Yep, a little bit of effort, but do the effort while you're at work, and uh, and nobody will know the wiser. Yeah, and that way you get paid for it too. <laughs> that way you get paid for the gay patch. Man, that's pretty. You amazing. got good ideas. Don't Mark. get in trouble. Uh, but we do have a lot of listeners that do listen at work. And uh, we appreciate being in your ear while you're working, and hopefully we're not distracting you too much. And if we are, hopefully you're able to do your job distracted, uh, yeah. you know, because that's important. I yeah. actually once tried to – I did an interview with you uh, at work. Yeah, you did. The problem is it lasted over two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, my team uh, was a little upset with you. Oh, man, that was a while back. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a good one. <laughs> oh, Gary. All the stuff we get you into sometimes. Yeah. Um, like we mentioned earlier in the episode, if if you want a little bit more of the BJJ Break podcast, we have a, a newsletter that has links to uh, some short episodes. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter at com or on the Facebook page. So you can buy and like the Facebook page if you haven't. We also have a Twitter, uh, Instagram, Pinterest. LinkedIn. Uh, I, don't, no, I think I have there. a LinkedIn. <laughs> Uh, whatever else you might type, find us on, uh, well, we might be there. And, yeah, uh, or we might not. YouTube, we got a YouTube thing. That's been up Do for we? a while. Remember that we, I got that? Uh, oh yeah, that the video. Check out the grilled cheese video. The grilled cheese video. Yeah, where sounds, you talk oh about yeah, it. I show how. Yeah, that That's was a, a good fail. video. Yeah, man, then, you got a grilled cheese video and a Thai curry speech. <laughs> Yep, and we need to get you your own show on the Food Channel. I guess I'm one step closer. Uh, yep. uh, secret, uh, f- you know, fighting foods. You know, that's going to be yeah. the end of the show. All I need to do is is sign the contract that they haven't sent me yet, and then uh, it'll happen, guys. Oh, don't worry, it'll be in the mail tomorrow, Gary. It may be a fake one that I'm going to do as a joke, <laughs> but it's going to be there. Do it during work, buddy. That way you'll uh, not waste your personal. <laughs> you paid for it. Uh, uh, what should somebody do if they're in town, if they're in Wichita, Kansas? They need to send us a message because we would love to roll with you. We'd love to learn from you, have fun, and uh, jiu jitsu hospitality. We'd love to uh, train with you and meet you. Yep, if you're traveling through, hit us up, bjjbrick at gmail.com or on the Facebook page. We'll try to uh, get our schedules to mash up and get some quality mat time with our listeners. We love that. Yeah, and we promise we won't invite you. Uh, to the hotel room to watch uh, MMA videos. <laughs> and my feelings won't be hurt when you recognize me from the gee patch because the guy has a large nose. I'll just uh, I'll just smile and uh, agree. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's me right there. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, what else we got, Gary? We got another great episode coming in next week. Uh, we'll get that uh, up for you guys, hopefully, on a Monday. Yeah, so definitely uh, tune in next week. Well, you don't even have to remember to tune in if you sign up for our newsletter or sign up for uh, our – what's it called? Just our the newsletter. newsletter's good, yeah. Yeah, the newsletter. We'll That'll call it do that. It. We'll call it a, a mail in a brick, I guess. I mail in a brick, yeah. It's not cheap, but it's worth it. But this Definitely. is free, I guess. So that's It's free. If you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. Man, that's a good uh, – I mean, why? who wouldn't take that? 100% money back guarantee. Yeah. Double it. We'll even let you keep the patch. Yep, double it. Double your money back guarantee. Yep. With the newsletter uh, that's free. So, can't beat that, my friends. That's confidence. Yep, we'll catch you next week. We thank you for listening. Yep, and stay sweaty, my friends. Stay sweaty. Thank you for listening. 
I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.